Every day, we rise, challenging ourselves to work for what we believe in. At U.S. Border Patrol, protecting our borders is more than a job. It's a calling. Agents answer the call, working together to keep our country and communities safe. If you are ready for a new mission, join U.S. Border Patrol and go beyond. Learn more at cbp.gov slash careers. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. At Caller, we've always looked at the future. Leading the way with our renewable gas bio-LPG. Ideal for off-grid homes and businesses, it cuts emissions by up to 90%. So, if like Mary and Mick Gorman and Abby Leakes, you're looking for a cleaner, more efficient way to cook and heat your home, our renewable gas is the right solution for you. And one that protects the planet too. Bio-LPG. Renewable gas from Caller. Find out more at callergas.ie. Uh, hey, 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 hoi, hoi. Welcome to the Blood and Mud podcast. The podcast <laughs> that, well, this half of it, has, has a daughter who's turning 16 tomorrow. Mate. I know, it's mad, isn't feel... it? How's that happened? She's yeah, the youngest you feel... kid. Wow. I mean, are you, you're, you're, that surely means that you're like one step closer to being empty nesting, which must be a delightful thought. Well, I'd like to say that no, you don't waste the time away, but yeah, in one in one way or another. <laughs> I think about these poor fuckers with the tiny kids on lockdown. Honestly, it must just be hell on earth. I mean, all, yeah. I mean getting through the, the day with small kids, they smile about. They make you smile about twice, which gets you through it, because the rest of the time, it's just fucking miserable. You love them, but you know what I mean? Quite a lot of, because of obviously the rough age that I am, there's a lot of of my friends from university that are you know doing this in with that, one or two yeah. one or two kids under five Ooh. and uh, i mean me you know currently being childless is, is feeling like the best decision we've ever fucking made at this point i'll level with you i mean you know, those those times when you know as a responsible parent you go i'm gonna have to do fucking painting with them now and you have to, and I used to go get about five, five bin bags out and rip them open and put them over everything, and then just basically allow them to do it for about fifteen minutes and put it up. The right, we've done painting now. We'll, we'll put it on C- the fridge. Yeah, we're putting CBBs back on. Right, but anyway, no, she, she's 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 lovely, and she still laughs at my jokes. That can't last for much longer. So 
I mean, yeah. Well, to be fair, we, we've had a podcast of people still laughing at your jokes for five years. So, Well, that's what know. I'm assuming. I'm just very thankful this is yeah. a one-way medium. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, maybe they're not. Maybe they're you not still laugh. That's because you're not so cruel as you just sit staring at me through Skype when I make a joke. I mean, and I, I, and I love like you forever you, for that. So, you know. I, I mean, I feel like it would change the vibe of the podcast <laughs> if I was just sitting here stony-faced. <laughs> but, you know. So, anyway, I am old enough to have a 16-year-old daughter, as, as you know, but I'm also Lee. And over there is... Uh, and not old enough to have that. I've got. I mean, got. You could be six. Yeah, I've got six year old. I mean, there must be a few people six. your age in Aberdeen with kids who are sixteen. <laughs> I'm thirty five, mate. I mean, that, that's that's called, oh, yeah. that's called that's called waiting until you're nineteen. <laughs> Jesus, come on. <laughs> um, if you want to get in touch with me, I am at Blood and Mud or Lee at Blood and Mud dot com, and you are Josh. At Josh, at Josh Gardner. Simple as that. Have you met any I'm more listeners this surpri- week? I'm trying not to sound surprised this week. Well as you said last week, that I always sound surprised. I know, it was, it's amazing. It generally makes me laugh. <laughs> I'm yeah. trying to sound matter of fact. It's <laughs> just gone, yeah. Simple as that. Same met any more listeners this week? In isolation? No, I haven't met anyone. Not you know, bought anything my... that's led to, you know, no, knowing no, someone? No, I, I got my exercise bike delivered, but it was delivered by a man who um, was unprepared for... You've been to my house. I have, oh, yeah, quite... yeah, yeah. Got quite a steep little bit of drive there, haven't I? It's not very long, though. No, I mean... but he had to lift uh, a you know gym level exercise bike on a sort of pushy pushy pallet thing, um, and he just took one look at it and went, "You want it in the garage, <laughs> don't you?" I was like, "Yeah." No, I want it on the pavement. Like... Of course, I want it in the fucking garage. <laughs> He's like, "You're gonna have to give me a hand with this then." And I was like, "It's social distancing. They're gone." So. I mean, yeah, we, we got it in the end, but he was miserable about it. I'll level with you. And to be honest with you, if I was a delivery driver in this current shit storm and I had to do something else that was fucking annoying, I probably would be too. Yeah, I mean, if you're a delivery driver now, you're completely allowed to be a surly Oh, shirty, shirty as you want to be. To it, yeah. the fuck on. Yeah. We got an email from the guy who owns Equip for Gyms. He was I oh, got hey. a, quick, oh, a quick DM saying he didn't expect to mention he, and he Thanks very much. Yeah, lovely guy. Thank you. Yeah. Anyway, um, so no, I've not met anybody, obviously. No, well, you know. nothing like that. If you do want to get in touch with us and say that you've met us and we didn't realise, then uh, I've already done all that. Yeah. We're also on ACAST, we're on iTunes, all that kind of stuff. We're also on Patreon, and I'm astounded, Josh, that people are actually still coming into the VIP lounge, even in it's... these straightened times that we live in. That's because there's so few places you can go to get a drink these days, you know? Like, all the pubs are shut, all the clubs are and shut. let's be honest, a lot of rugby places are full of twats, aren't they? Yeah, You might as well come in well. and be like, there's no red trousers here. Fuck no, there isn't. I've got, that's one of the, the very few rules of the club, is no fucking red trousers. I, I think I'm having a midlife crisis because I found myself today buying a pair of Nike Blazer 77 mid-top trainers. Despite the fact that I'm old enough, to, as we've already established, I've got teenage children. Um, I mean, I don't think there's anything. I can see you looking them up. I can see you looking them up. You can imagine what they look like. like. Imagine the film oh, Breakdance. There's nothing. There's absolutely nothing wrong with that. They are the Marty McFly trainer, man. Yeah, pretty much. Um, they are. I mean, I'm going to show quite how much of a horrendous nerd they are. They are the trainers that Marty McFly wears in Back to the Future One. Oh well, I didn't know that. That makes you feel better. With Especially if you've got the ones that have got the maroon tick, which I believe are the exact ones that Mike McFly wears. No, I've, just, I've gone for all grey. Oh, nice. 
See, they're nice, actually. Aren't they nice? And Foot Asylum, the all grey ones, 35% off. You're talking under 60 quid with delivery. If I was wearing trainers that weren't just the ones that I used to go out to have a walk every day at the moment, I'd definitely consider that. Well, there you go. I oh, feel so, better. I've been no, validated. I didn't, I didn't, you have been validated. I've just got... And I'm, I'm somebody that's quite... A, I, I, if I was rich, I would absolutely become one of those dickheads that's got 17,000 pairs of trainers. <laughs> so, you know, all the same. A friend of mine who, who listens to this podcast, I don't know if he's still listening because he's on full lockdown... Has the largest, uh, hello Matt, has the largest collection of trainers of any man I know. <laughs> I mean, when I say I've got a lot of trainers, I mean, I've got about nine pairs of trainers at the moment that I currently kind of rotate. So, you know, but for me, as I grew up as somebody that had one pair of trainers and then you wore them until there was a hole in them and then you maybe bought a new pair. So I find this the sort of high. Were they at least branded or were you forced to wear Golas or high tech? Or uh, didn't even have a brand that was a shit brand. Generally, how I how I navigated that was uh, I would go to Macro or the Catalog Bargain Shop, and I'd find whatever fucking Nikes or Reeboks that I could get in there. And they usually weren't very cool, but you know, well, at least they were a brand. They're not fucking. They're not fucking high tech yeah. or gold, so you can avoid the obvious. Yeah, nice. And there we go. See, I never, I never, I didn't know macro existed as a child. I, I didn't know these things were a thing. We just got to market. Like, I didn't like mayonnaise didn't exist in my life until I was about fifteen. <laughs> I'm not even, and I'm not even trying to be like, look how working class I was. Or whatever. I, it I, literally I didn't exist in my gladly, life. I'm one of those people that would gladly continue to have like mayonnaise not exist in my life. I never but, made yeah. popcorn as a kid. We never had microwave popcorn, nor did I make it in a pan. No, like. I think we maybe when it sort of became slightly more popular in like the mid to late nineties, we might have had. And some I was an adult by then, popcorn. you see. Oh well, yeah, that's the thing. I was like sixteen, seventeen. We certainly popcorn was something you literally had when you went to the cinema, but mm. you didn't buy it. You went and bought some fucking toffee popcorn from Asda beforehand. Yes. Butter then kiss, butter kiss, rah rah rah. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, anyway, I mean, onward. Yeah. Onward. Oh, thank you, everybody, who and thank you particularly to the VIP lounge entrance this week, who Indeed. is who are two people, Pete mm-hmm. Cresswell and Dave Price, who've both joined the VIP lounge. So come on in, yeah. get yourself a seat in the bonquette, and we'll uh, <laughs> we'll bring you over a drink. Who doesn't like a bonquette? You know. Yeah, a, a word not used enough. No, really not. Like. <laughs> Yeah. Anyway, um, <laughs> yeah. Moving on. Shall we start with like player spotted level. as we always do? Reminiscing about popcorn. Um, yeah. Keith De- Taylor DMs Keith Taylor on the on the DM. He says, "I've got a player in a mundane player spotted for you." Well, I'm glad you've Love sent it, it Keith, because that is what we want. Oh yes. He said, "I'm in the barbers in Bath getting a trim, and I thought I recognised the guy sitting which, on the which one." Oh, see. You forget. See, anybody says anything about Bath, can you please be more specific? <laughs> I don't give a shit personally, but but if anybody says anything about about a spot in somebody in Flint, then I'll want to know then or Chester. You but yeah. if it's but if it's Bath, I don't care. But Josh does. So he's <laughs> anyway. Barber's in Bath getting a trim. Thought I recognised the guy sitting on the bench waiting his turn to go next, but didn't have the specs on. I'm taking Key didn't have the specs on. Anyway, mm-hmm. cut finished and specs back on. Oh yeah, I'm with you. And there's Reese Priestland 
getting his back and sides finished off. Oh, fair play. Reese Brewston in the barbers. Imagine Reese Brewston in the barbers. What is, he, what is he? Can I please have the most mundane haircut you do, please? <laughs> Just make you look like a brush. Grade one, Reese. <laughs> no, that's a bit risky, that. But exciting. <laughs> one and a half as low as I'll go. I wonder if he goes to Gary Hatto or Dapper or Hackett's. Gary Hatto? That sounds like a Japanese fullback. Is that a. <laughs> it does. No, it's a man called Gary Hatto who uh, who cuts hair in Bath. Uh, I don't know what to tell you. Hatto? That's, got... that's a strange. Yeah. Is what, is is... He, is, what ethnicity is he? I'm not trying to be funny. I'm just. No, I'm, I'm interested where the name Hatto a, comes he's from. Just a, he's just a bloke from the West Country. All right. Never yeah. heard that surname before. I don't before. know if it's his real name. Maybe he's made it up. <laughs> Maybe that's just what it is. Because, of course, in Cardiff, every barbershop is run by the Lazarou family. The Greek Cypriot family. Damn right it does. They've, yeah. It's literally a closed shop. There's no other barbers allowed to be opened. Uh, but what? But why would you want any other barbers that aren't? Why would you want your haircut by somebody who isn't from the Lazarou family? <laughs> yes. And it's many, many offshoots. Indeed. Right then, let's talk about... If you've got a player spotted, you can send it via at Blood and Mud on the DMs or leeatbloodandmud.com or whatever, or even by the Patreon messaging service if you so feel that way, that way inclined. Thank you very much, Keith, mm-hmm. and thank you, everybody. The news. Yes. Big news. Well, it is, it's not big news, but it's big news because it's the only fucking news that we have right now, is that <laughs> Bo Belmont has been elected king of the entire world again. Yeah, it's... By 28-23. It was... Unbelievably inevitable, wasn't it? You know, let's let's not be around the bush here. Like for all the talk of people like going, oh, well, maybe Wales will vote for him, or maybe Ireland won't vote for him. Well, everybody just fucking voted for him in the end. Of course they did. Like, and it's quite sad if I'm honest, because <laughs> the first thing he's fucking done is come out and gone. You know, we we're not moving the Six Nations. And that's literally the first thing he's done. And it's like, oh, okay, well, so, so it's business as usual until somebody turns the lights off. So here's, his, here's, here's his quotes on being elected. He yeah. says, as an organisation, we must lead, be transparent, accountable, and continue to better serve for all. We must be united in our drive to make this the great sport even better, simpler, safer, and more accessible. Now, what's interesting is, is what, there's a lot in there. I know it's yeah. only a, a kind of opening speech, but there's a lot in there. There is, to be fair. and Better, simpler. That's an interesting word to use. We're going to wait yeah. to, to make the game simpler. Because this is the thing that I... This is kind of where Bill Beaumont gets everything wrong. Um, kind of why I was really pissed off about him being involved in this whole thing. In, and, you know, continuing <laughs> to be involved. Full stop. Get out, yeah. Bill. <laughs> it's, just like, it's just like his whole idea of what rugby needs is like stuck in such a fucking like weird fucking mm. we have to change the game. But what needs to be changed is the fucking is the governance you know, is it's all of this stuff that that Pichot wanted to deal with. You know, it's it's the technological side of things. It's the fair representational side of things. It's making, you know, 
a global season work. All of these things need changing. What rugby doesn't need to do is changing the fucking rules again. You know? I mean, so I like, didn't want Pichot that... to win either, though. I mean, he was like a total arsehole about project players and all that stuff, wasn't he? He wasn't exactly a... Oh, everyone's a fucking arsehole in this, though, aren't they? You know, that's... <laughs> you create <laughs> some, levels some... of arsehole, yeah. To some degree or another, everyone here is a prick. But in the Venn diagram, they're all in the arsehole circle. <laughs> but you know, I just I don't know, man, I just I can't fucking another four or however many years it is of the same fucking shit, you know, of rugby talking a good game about developing nations and growing the game, but ultimately primarily being concerned with protecting the the current um the status quo you just heard my wife shout at the uh cheeky cat that is coming into our house now that we've got the door open Damn and straight. i caught him i caught him earlier uh in the kitchen just with a, a, a whole chicken wing in his mouth <laughs> which, not, is it your, honestly, it's not your cat no my cat i've got to respect the fuck out of him oh I love, this is what i love about cats I mean, yeah <laughs> does not give an absolute like honestly on the kitchen counter while my cat sat there watching it <laughs> with an entire drumstick in his mouth i mean respect the fuck yeah, you know exactly. it's it's so you've got to respect what? that game what yeah and, and then what got you do about it, you prick? yeah then got shooed out stood on the patio licking his lips and then the second it turned around tried to come back in again <laughs> and have another crack i respect that Anyway, so yeah, you may hear some shouting as he <laughs> as he continues his attempt to get the entire chicken. This is the only live sport we've got access to, to be honest. Cat, cat baiting. So I I'm going to have... televise this. I'm going to put it on my Instagram live and see how it goes. There must be a YouTube video of cats being absolutely brazen cunts. Surely there must be. There must be loads of videos of that. If you don't start that YouTube channel when we <laughs> cats being absolutely brazen cunts dot com. Can you get away with that? I don't know. Anyway, anyway, Bill Beaumont. Bill Beaumont. Anyway, so he continued, went on to say, no is not the time for celebration. He said, uh, right from me, I'm going to have loads of fucking raspberry ripple after. He said, but uh, we're tackling <laughs> COVID-19 and must implement an appropriate return to rugby strategy that prioritises player welfare while optimising any opportunity to return to international rugby this year in full collaboration with the club competitions for the good of the players, <gasps> fans and overall financial health of the sport. He didn't actually say that because, as you may have noticed, there wasn't a comma then for about four lines. I love it when statements don't read like people yeah, talk. Try and say that out loud. Don't put it in quotation marks because <laughs> there's no fucking way you say that out loud unless you're a trained fucking tenor. <laughs> but anyway, so what's, I mean, Bo Billman, what's he going to do now? It's just the same things he's always fucking done. Keep the gravy train rolling for the Six Nations and not give a fuck about anyone else. I do like the idea that they're talking about rebranding tier two. Because if anything, yeah, if anything works, don't ch- don't fix the problem. Change what it's called. Do you ever think about changing the name of Splot in Cardiff at one point? Splo. Yeah, yeah. Changing it to Bayside or something. So like, yeah, oh, it'll yeah, still be Splot, to... won't it? Yeah, it'll always be Splot to anybody that's ever lived in Cardiff, <laughs> and it's yeah, it's. What would they call Tier Two if they did change the name um, of it? They'd call it the World Rugby Elite Developments. Championship or something like I that. Call it the Quagmire. <laughs> uh, they'd call it the Nail, surely. <laughs> <laughs> but 
But yeah, it's, I mean, it's, it's just it's but that, if that's the level that we're talking about here, you know, partridge esque. They've rebadged it, you fool. Kind of. <laughs> I yes. mean, what I, for one, am extremely optimistic about the future of rugby under Bill, and I'm sure that everybody else is as well. But the fact is, well, I mean, you know, of course they're important, but in the kind of stuff that most people get their heads into, World Rugby are quite a small, apart from the World Cup, they're a relatively small, and qualifying for the World Cup, which people mm. who are big nations don't have to do anyway. They're relatively small players in many ways, aren't they? They just keep going around yeah. to the main unions going, will you please do this? No. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's the thing, you know. Will you please give up some of your control? Got, no. Pichu got, you know, got World Rugby to, you know, get behind this Nations League thing, you know, to the level where it was put to a vote. And the Six Nations just went, nah. And that was the end of that. Well, that's the politics of it, because it is just like, yeah. you can just say whatever, it's like in the cricket, you know, if India don't agree, it doesn't happen. So you mm. can develop as much of an idea as you want and make all the videos with very sensible man-making. He was quite sensible sounding, but had quite an upbeat voice, wasn't he, talking about it? That will go into pool one, and then there'll be two pools, um, and all that <laughs> stuff. And then, of course, when it comes to the vote, which way are you voting? Fuck off. Okay, thanks yeah. for listening. You know, so... <laughs> See you later. <laughs> can I have my £10,000 now, please? Um... <laughs> Yeah. So there you go. And what was interesting that then pub they then published the board, the list of the world rugby governing body people. And there's Ali Donnelly, who's incredible strong, line. Incredible. Came up with the best line you've ever heard, where she said, "There are more. Was it? There are more Bretts more than Bretts women. There, than are women. More, yeah. there are more people called Brett than women on the world rugby governing body." And nothing says we're going to get this game away from, you know middle-class white men in suits than having a board literally stocked to the gills with middle-class white men in suits. It's just so fucking uninspiring, isn't it? It's mm-hmm. like, well done. Well, I suppose he's, only, he's only been the, the... Well, he's not been in the job two minutes because he's had about four years to do it, but I suppose... Let's see what happens. But I, let's be honest. Nobody's ever that excited about the change of the guard at World Rugby, are they? The only fact, the only no, reason we're even talking about this is yeah. because, <laughs> because there's no like, fucking sport to watch. You know, it's either that or I talk about what trainers I've bought for another ten minutes. So yeah, yeah, it's it's that level of you know, it's it's in many ways the worst time for him to be doing an election because. <laughs> That's, yeah, it's more scrutiny He's got than far more peepers on him before. than he would have before. Yeah, yeah, but at the same time, as you say, you know, it doesn't really fucking matter if the fact of the well, the reality is, every single member of the rugby championship voted against him, and that. And then for have the me, fucking that's... girls have a go at Fiji. Well, I can't believe he didn't vote for those Fiji. Says it says New Zealand. It's like, why the fuck did we vote with you? When were you last yeah. on tour here? You set of cuds. Yeah, come back to us when you haven't nicked all of our potential players. Yeah, you could have at least have made like a, some kissy faces at us as part of this election and said you might consider putting a team in the Super Rugby or anything like that. But no, <laughs> no, it's it's. I, I, it feels like there's something something is brewing here, and has been for about five years of a sort of world rugby is not a happy camp. Let's face it. There's a lot of contrasting and competing agendas right now. And it's going to all boil over at some point, isn't it? Someone's going to kick off about something. 
and tanks will be on lawns and teams will be northern teams will refuse to tour the southern hemisphere and southern hemispheres will tune, and then it'll all be silly and it could well happen very soon to be honest because there's already things about you know the mirrors reporting this week that they might cancel the lions tour um, well, funny enough, Catherine, uh, long-time friend of listening, Catherine Kavanagh, te- emailed, <laughs> tweeted us, I should say, to say to ask for our opinion whether the Lions tour will go ahead. And I was thinking, fucking hell, I don't know why she's asking me. But then, thankfully, <laughs> well, yeah. but then, thankfully, Nick Johnson, another listener and, and clever person, uh, then responded about all kinds of clever things about how they're actually having to look now about whether you could even book flights now because COVID is a known thing, so you couldn't get your money back if it was then cancelled due to another something to do with covid so yeah. actually you probably can't even make a plan to go anywhere now no exactly for the next and three that... years because it will be uninsured should it all go wrong and that is uh you know and that it's not even that that's the reason that they're going to cancel the lions tour the reason that they're talking about canceling the lions tour is that the irf usru and wru have basically said if we don't have our full slate of fucking test matches this year, we'll probably go under. And we're going to have to play them at some point. And if that means we have to sacrifice the Lions Tour, which is a nice little earner, but not as good an earner as a home test match, then so fucking be it. I mean, what we realise is that the whole world is basically eight months away from completely going bankrupt, isn't it? Yeah. It's. Uh, you I'm know. not even saying that as a criticism, and maybe I should have known no. that. I don't know, but if it's interesting to understand that effect. I know cash flow kills a business if you haven't got any and stuff like that. But even the biggest things in the world seem to be like, yeah, effectively we are fucked if we have, we don't have if we have money not coming in for a couple of months. Even the biggest fucking companies in the world are like, <laughs> no idea. Yeah. yeah. And yeah, I mean, I think it would be horrendous, obviously, if the lions to get cancelled. Yes. But, yeah, you can't really blame anyone for, you know, exercising self-interest at the moment. If it means your union won't exist. Yeah, it's kind of... It's like three of the four home nations don't exist in time for the next fucking lines. It'll be no different for Scotland then, will it? Um, as long as as long as the man at the top keeps gets a really good payout at the end, that's all we care <laughs> yes. about. Uh, anyway, so there you go. We'll see what happens. Yeah, um, yeah. In other news, shitloads of people are leaving Leicester. Loads of people. Steve Borthwick has had a look, and he's decided he does not like what he sees. Um, I do love the fact that he's had a look and doesn't like what he sees, even though there's been nothing to look at for two months. Yeah. <laughs> he's just been, he's straight away just gone. Yeah, those six are shit. Have you, have you seen him in training? No, I just okay. <laughs> they're just care. going. In fact, I'm not even. I don't even know who they are. I'm just shaking it up, making them realise the kind of one I'm on a knife <laughs> edge when I come in. So yeah, so uh, Pilotta now is off. He was on a lot of money. Um, wasn't there for long though, was he? Wasn't there for long. Callum Phoney's yeah, uh, off, isn't he? Callum Afoni's off, Gaston Cortez is off, Adam Thompson is off, uh, Viljean is off, Joe Thomas, Owen Hills, Will Spencer, Guy Thompson, Sam Harrison's already gone, Johnny May is obviously going back to Gloucester, and Joni Holmes is actually going to the Dragons. Oh. Yeah, um, I'd, I'd, Guy Thompson would be a good shout for somebody still, I think. 
I agree. I'm so surprised, surprised that he didn't, uh, he didn't think that he'd be worth keeping around. Maybe he doesn't want to stay. I mean, they're jammy fair. fuckers, Maybe. aren't they, Lester? I mean, <laughs> let's be honest. I mean, nobody's actually, you know, you know, most people are not that upset. Saracens are going down, but the chance that Leicester could have properly gone down proper. Oh, they could have easily gone down. And they've swerved year. that and got a chance to rebuild an entire squad while not really having to worry about anything. Yeah, and conveniently getting shot off some big-name fucking people, you know. Get Califoni, it would have been on decent money. Plot and I was certainly on a lot of money. Johnny May was on a lot of money. Yeah. And, you know, okay, they've replaced, replaced them with the Dolos, not going to be on fuck all. Um, sorry, Matt Scott as well, don't forget. Yeah, um, and who's that South African back row who's coming? Oh, um... Oh, what's his name? And he sounds... Oh, I can't remember. Carry on, but yeah. Yeah. But yeah, it's... it's There's there's loads of... Um, Kyle oh, Brink. Brink. Kyle Brink, Brink yeah. he's called. Sounds, like, yeah, yeah, sounds yeah. like a protagonist in a computer game. Yeah, they've signed, they signed a Georgian, which is always a good sign. Yes. Um, well, they reckon no, a lot. Really. They're letting most of that back row go. They reckon there's a lot of uh, academy coming through, don't they? Yeah, and there's a there's a good lad who's a Welsh lad who's playing. I can't even remember his, his name now, but he's been doing good things uh, for the under twenties and in the uh, Premiership Cup this year for Leicester. So he's very highly touted. But uh, yeah, it's 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 going to be a very different Leicester in terms of personnel next season, if nothing else whether that will mean that they're arresting the decline that they've been on for the last three or four years. Who knows? Yeah, we'll find out, won't we? Hmm. Um, in other news, uh, good to see that, you know, player salaries are getting under control in this, this straightened financial time. Uh, Peter Stefty toit has been offered a, a £3.6 million uh, deal <laughs> by Montpellier. How um, long? Uh, Must be three years. Three years yeah, yeah. So he's being offered a hundred thousand euros a month, which is, I mean, it's not football money by any stretch. But, but it it's, is. It is on the rugby curve. It is. Yeah, on the rugby. That's curve, Cristiano that's Ronaldo money if he was a rugby yeah. player, sort of thing. Yeah. The weirdest part is, is Cristiano Ronaldo money for you know a holding midfielder. You know, Steph is a fucking incredible player, but yeah. he's still a flanker. You know, it's not like he's a ten. I hold me further who works exclusively in two-footed tackles. <laughs> but it's uh, the yeah. uh, no. I mean, fair play to him. He's had a great couple of years, and if somebody wants to offer yes. him funny money, he should fucking World do player it. Player of so, the year, he yeah. should. Yeah, but it's three point six million. Is uh, even in euros? It's <laughs> a lot of fucking money. <laughs> Yeah. Um, um, yeah. Fergus McFadden's retiring. Yeah, I level with you. I kind of thought he'd retired anyway. I've not heard from him for a little been a good servant. Yeah. yeah, he should be a good servant for, Les- for Leinster. Uh, you know, got some Ireland caps along the way. The thing that I found weird about it, right? You know, decent player, but every single like fellow Ireland and Leinster player that was talking about him was talking about how hard he was. I was like, no, I mean, I mean, he's a winger for a start, so you never really 
consider how hard a winger is, do you? No, it's not Brian really Driscoll enters your brain. But yeah, Brian Driscoll says love playing in the same team is him hard as fuck and a mental toughness to live with anyone. Sean O'Brien said one of the hardest players in the game. Jamie Heaslip said. Uh, one of the most determined, toughest and talented players I've had the pleasure to call teammate. Rob Carney says, tough as nails on the pitch or whisked up to the big occasions. It, it, always known, And Reese Ruddock says, we'll have you back on and off the pitch, which sounds like he gets a bit fighty off it as well, which I like. Um, yeah, just just like low... Somehow, Fergus McFadden has apparently been low-key hard as fuck this whole time and never really... Who knew? Yeah, fair. I mean, fair play for him. Latent hardness. Hard. It's a thing. Yeah. Can we compile a list hard. of players who have latent hardness <laughs> that nobody really well, knows how hard they are? But there's like a sort of... I like that, that he's sort of apparently so fucking hard. And yet he never really got into it with anyone on the field. He just kept it in check. And maybe he just had an aura that meant nobody fucked with. Just know that when it does go, I'll be ending it. Oh, yeah, yeah. It's, it's that sort of vibe, isn't it? It's like, you might not start this, but... Like but... Brian McDermott, who played prop for Leeds and Bradford in Rugby League, who was an ex-Marine and ex-boxing champion and was 17 and a half stone. <laughs> and the most terrifying thing about him was, was that because of his background, he measured every punch that he used. And there was one game against, I think it was Bradford, <laughs> when he was playing at Bradford against Leeds, and he hit three people. He kicked off, and basically, as they were coming towards him, he just picked them off one by one with one punch each. And then the best <laughs> thing about it was, he then just turned around and walked off the field without waiting for the red card to be shown. It's <laughs> like, I know, I know. <laughs> bang, bang, bang. Yeah, all right, I'm going. Acast recommends podcasts we love. Changemakers is a new podcast series with me, Claire McKenna talking to people who stand up, speak out, or challenge us to think a little differently. It's about the greater good, families and children, respecting their own individuality. In the next couple of years, like I hope I never have to have conversations about racism ever again. Like, I just want to get to the stage where, you know, people are just people. Nobody's pooling the resources together and actually being able to show how much of an impact it will make when people do come together. Changemakers with Claire McKenna. Search for it now wherever you get your podcasts. Acast is home to the world's best podcasts, including the David McWilliams podcast, I'm Grandmam, and the one you're listening to right now. Anyway, yeah, so Fergus McFadden. Anyway, yeah, so congratulations to Fergus McFadden. Uh, good career, great Speaking career. Speaking of obviously hard, more obviously hard people, Mamuka Gorgodza has retired this week. Yes. Uh... Yeah, somebody who left that nobody in any under doubt. No about impression, how... <laughs> under no illusions about how hard he was. <laughs> he could have never done. He could never have set foot on a rugby pitch in his life. Yeah, and you'd still know exactly. It kind of crackled off him, didn't it? Yeah. <laughs> I said he could now focus on his on his hobby of eating live bears on yeah, full yeah, time, yeah. and then wrestling them. Yes. <laughs> yeah, after he, wrestling them and then eating them. It's barbaric, some would say, but you know, whatever. It's, well, you don't get to where Mamuka didn't get where gets where he is today without engaging <laughs> in barbaric <laughs> pretend sports. So it's a shame he never played with Vern Cotter, really. They was really gone. Yeah, indeed. Speaking of Vern Cotter, uh, we're now going to mm. move on to our film for the week. Fifteen yes. XV, fifteen. 
colon beyond the try line, full stop. Vern Cotter, there's a yeah. brilliant scene with Vern Cotter in this looking emotionless and stony face. You'll be glad, to, you'll be surprised to hear. But we'll, we'll come on to that later on. Yeah. Um, um, I think, first of all, I don't think when we were talking about watching this last week, I don't think either of us realized that this is effectively world rugby's official film for the 2015 yeah. rugby world club and you think they it's market not it a bit more wouldn't you yeah well no i think we're thinking about this like none of the descriptions or anything make this clear that it's you know it's about the 2015 rugby world cup i wonder if that's because the primary market for this is england and ah uh, yeah could be they're yeah. not going they, they basically reframe it it was supposed to be you know they were making this film about England's glorious march to the Rugby World Cup final. And then it what happens happened. And then they went, right, we need to uh <laughs> we need to still get something out of the Christmas DVD market here, lads. So <laughs> Yeah. I love those documentaries that are set up in one for one thing and then it ends up not being like um Graham, the impossible job with Graham Taylor was meant to be a catalogue yes, of them quali- yes, yes, England yes, qualifying yes, yes. for USA 94, wasn't it? Didn't become that. Sunderland Till I Die was Ellis Short's, was Ellis Short's way of, of doing a shop window for investors yeah. for this club. So I could, oh, we'll have a lovely documentary about getting promoted back to the Premiership, back to the, the Premier League. It'll be great. <laughs> mm, yeah, it didn't quite work out that way. So uh, I love that kind of shit. It doesn't quite go the way you think it's going to go. No, indeed. And yeah, it feels slightly sneaky as a result. <laughs> I feel like there's clearly stuff that was filmed in addendum to what was meant to be filmed. Like I'm pretty sure that I don't know whether Stuart Barnes would have had anything to do with this if they didn't need somebody to be a cunt. <laughs> um, <laughs> the thing about but, it, though, um, you sometimes say stuff and you go, oh, yeah, yeah. You know, mostly mostly it's the other stuff, but you do sometimes... Yeah, and then, yourself... then he'll say something two seconds later. For <laughs> fuck's sake, he ruined that. Yeah. But it opens... But, see, I turn it on. Go on, finish that point. Well, I think I think the first thing, it opens, and we get the fucking Universal Pictures bloody yeah. fanfare. And it's like, this is both unexpected and reveals that this is a bigger deal than yeah. everything that we've watched Universal, so far. really, yeah. Yeah. And then Prince Harry's there's a print it opens with a Prince Harry montage. I thought this is this is not a strong start for me, I'll be honest. No, I mean A, the it cuts to the it starts off with some clips of the opening ceremony, the two thousand fifteen rugby book. I'd forgotten how weird that opening ceremony was. Mm. With the weird like alien egg opening up <laughs> and the rugby world cups inside it. Um and yeah, then, I remember when the opening ceremony came on because it said, Let let's take you to the Rugby World Cup twenty fifteen. And it was, you know, the world fucking oh, Paloma Faith, God. wasn't it? Um, that was the only thing I hated about that tour. So there was that, <laughs> and then it was, a, then you had that. I was, I was sat there like open mouthed and agog at what she'd just done. And then it, it was all faded into Inverdale. Hello, or what's all for fuck's sake? And then behind him was the giant <laughs> alien egg. Yeah. And yeah, and then the, the sort of opening titles of this. Uh, of this production come on and it's called 15 obviously and they have it in various languages and they appear to have just used Arial as the font and that instantly gave like in in contrast to everything else in this film it just instantly has like instant Microsoft movie maker vibes (laughs) (laughs) not even bothering changing the basic font yeah. yeah but as you say straight in with Prince Harry 
And then I think the strapman said, an R-W- did you notice, an RWC Legacy production was the opening credits. Yeah, I was like, yeah. oh, right, <laughs> oh, okay, right, okay. That, that thing, <laughs> that's where all the RFU's money went. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah, so straight into Prince Harry, talking about how he just, he just loves rugby. He's one of the lads who loves yeah. rugby. And I, actually, I changed my mind as soon as he came out. I was like, oh, it's not aimed at English people, it's aimed at Americans. And they're trying to hook him in with a bit of royal glamour, aren't they? Yeah, maybe. Um, can we just say... This was before he became a traitor to his land and his nation, by the way. Of course, yeah, yeah, yeah. Marrying this somebody pre- he loves and buggering off to have a normal life. Pre-Megan. Well, I love the fact that he says, I have to remind myself on a daily basis that I'm Prince Harry. I really fucking doubt it, pal. Yeah, I doubt it, mate. You've just been brought to the ground on a fucking sedan chair. Do you know what I mean? Something about the servants bringing you breakfast in your palace (laughs) is probably a bit of a giveaway. And also, he's literally being interviewed in front of a solid gold fucking tea set. And the fact that every sentence that is said to you by anybody else is suffixed with your highness. Your highness. (laughs) (laughs) He's basically the acceptable face of royalty at this point, though, isn't he? Though, And he's kind of... He's the closest thing that the royal family has to like a stereotypical rugby club bloke, because like he's a he's a bit of a lad, he's a bit of a one. He likes getting naked on nights out, inappropriate uh, fancy dress, devious taste in fancy dress. Yeah, <laughs> um, but fundamentally, he's all right. He seems all right. Yeah, he does. Yeah. Seem like, he seems all right. Yeah. Can we have a word about the fact that no cunt in this movie's had a shave? And like well, Harry and we'll come on to this later on, and and Oshina listening point this out. Somebody should definitely have fucking had a shave when we come on later on. Lucky <laughs> <Fucking> hell. <laughs> but yeah, what you will notice is that Dan Carter is the only person whose face in this movie his face has seen a fucking razor in quite some time, and a lot of them should have. Particularly the second, fe- you know, the second celebrity to appear in this film, Stuart Barnes. Oh yes. Who is this? Tough got... Yeah, he's got a weird tufty. Can we? I have. It cuts to Stuart Barnes typing away in his office, right at home, presumably. Which oh, there's so much I need to unpack here, right? Stuart but Barnes. Before we office. get into that, though, can we just make yeah. a point? And the point has to be made that this is like what five minutes in, and I was thinking I want to turn this off now because so far I've seen <laughs> Prince Harry a shit montage, and it's just now dissolved to Stuart Barnes. I feel like the Paloma Faith Inverdale axis yeah. is, is coming back at me in a different format. Basically, basically Stuart Barnes going full Jessica Fletcher and <laughs> typing away. Yeah, as, as the camera pans around his shoulder to see what he's typing. Yeah. But Stuart Barnes' office, I, I, I paused it, right, because it's <laughs> bananas, right? He's sort of, it's sort of a weird mezzanine thing for starters, because there appears to be some stairs in front of him. He's got three laptops there, right? And two staplers. <laughs> nobody, nobody needs two fucking staplers. Nobody does. And two, he's got two printers as well. Is he, like, shilling for clarity copiers? Is that what this is about? If you've got two printers, you have to assume there's a lot of paper coming off. Does he bind his own manuscripts? Why has he got? To, does he need one stapler for each printer? Is that? It's just, anyway, I also love that he's got all of this. He's got three laptops, two printers, and two staplers, but he hasn't thought to buy a monitor, a keyboard, or anything that would help 
with his writing posture, which can broadly be described as keeping a chiropractor in work for the rest of his life. Honestly, he looks like quasi fucking Mojo hunched over that that fucking laptop. Also, that laptop's got a fucking VGA port. When was the last time a laptop had a VGA port? That it wasn't was 2015, spam- was it? Fucking wasn't. Like, and he's plugged directly into the router as well. He's got his little BT fucking broadband router, and he's plugged in with the fucking free bloody Ethernet cable that comes with all routers, the yellow one. <laughs> Nobody uses You've got a drawer full of them. Yeah. 12 of them I've got. 12 yeah. Ethernet cables I've never used. Requiring him to sit six inches from his router, like he's, it's fucking 1999 or something. I just, that profession, one of the most, you know, highly paid journalists in the land. And he's basically staggered by it. He does say at some point, though, thing. he does say, you know, that those, that point with me, he sometimes says stuff and you think, oh, I quite like you. And then then after, because he does say at some point, you know, I do this for a living. And sometimes when you're watching some games in the middle of December, I think, yeah. I wish I didn't do this for a living. And I thought, <laughs> yeah, you're kind of, I feel at one with this podcast on that one. And actually, there's many a time where you go, fucking mm. hell, I can't be arsed with this this weekend. This is all shit sort of thing. But, uh, but yeah, so, and then, of course, he kind of ruins it. But then it goes from Barnes, and then it's it segues to Keith Kent. It was the senior groundsman at Twickenham, who seems and... like a nice guy, right? Who seems like. But what what are they trying to what what story are they trying to tell with him? Go on. Let's shoot forward, right, to the entirety of this film, right? Nobody gets more airtime. It's probably Stuart Barnes is the only person who gets more airtime in this film than the groundsman. <laughs> like, he gets more airtime than anyone Welsh, Scottish, or Irish combined. He gets more airtime than Dan Carter. The final shot of the credits is that fucking groundsman going across the Twickenham pitch <laughs> with a lawnmower. Like, is Pierre Deschamps, the guy who fucking directs, did this? Is he like a groundskeeper on the side or something? Is this like his sort of. But it turns the out that he's from right? Leicester and he was a goalkeeper. Yeah. Good goalkeeper, but not like, good enough. Didn't like rugby at all. So he said, really? well, I'll go work for Leicester City then as a groundsman. And then didn't like rugby, was a football groundsman for every part of his career until about a year before this film was made. Yeah. And then he did some really ham-fisted thing about, and now you know, I just love it. Because, you know, <laughs> rugby grass is a different kind of grass or something. I don't believe him. <laughs> I fundamentally don't believe him. Imagine uh, before he go, "What do you want me to?" Because he's like a very nice guy, didn't he? Well, what do you want me to say? It's just it's a, it's a it's a field, isn't it? I tend fields is what I do. <laughs> Later on, he goes through a really long winded thing about <laughs> about how lifting divots up with a fucking fork is really important, but not just important. It's somehow indicative of the spirit of the entire game. What you do learn from this is that everything that happens in rugby somehow signifies respect absolutely loves itself absolutely anything with anything your forward doing a fucking really bad curry shit before it before kickoff in the cubicle somehow (laughs) indicates respect respect everything hashtag rugby values it's all over this film oh lots and lots of slow motion wistful blinking as well Looking into the camera. I'll tell, tell you what else there is in this film is there's a weaponization of the word guys. Oh my god. The number of times people say the word guys in this fucking film. I um because I'm now old, I get very, very, very pissed off uh, with the fact that everybody calls everybody guys in all scenarios. 
particularly yeah. waiters and waitresses. <laughs> Are you ready to order, guys? What do you mean? Well, for start, two of us are women, and what? Why, why can't you call me sir? And I'm, I'm not a hierarchical person, well, but it is just like seriously. Have you not been sir, trained? Just, are you ready? To, are you ready to order? You don't need to say guys. How are you or doing, sir, guys? Fuck fellas, off. yeah. I was doing all right till you said that. <laughs> anyway, yeah, I am being miserable. <laughs> I, I can sympathise a little bit. I do get where you're coming from. Um, but yeah, it's it's remarkable how many people. From Johnny Wilkinson to Dan Carter to well, let's watch. If I, I don't say watch it again, don't watch it. No, again. don't watch it's it again. Terrible. Honestly, but fifteen minutes watching... in, I was like, oh my god, I might just turn this off and pretend I've watched it. <laughs> somehow, after half an hour, like... I, somehow, I think I, have, I had to fall into the rhythm of it. And after half an hour, I kind <laughs> of went. Yeah. And when it got to be fair, when it got to the knockout stage, I thought, all right, yeah, we can kind of push this through now. It also didn't help. There were some great moments in that World Cup. Don't get me wrong, but it was just a fucking parade for New Zealand, wasn't it? Absolutely, there was no. So they're trying to import all this drama into it, but actually, yeah, apart from like... some of the obvious games. Well, know. and to be fair, Barnes actually says that as well. It was just like yeah. uh, New Zealand were always going to win this World Cup, always going to. And it, it's yeah, you know, I mean, but yeah, it's it's. I will say, it does a better job of selling the drama of Japan South Africa in about five minutes. <laughs> Than that entire fucking bloody film did. <laughs> did that, yeah. Lots of focus on Brighton, <laughs> as you can imagine. And uh, but yeah, it did actually, and what it meant for the tournament and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, and, and for as a sort of interesting counterpoint to sort of the Brighton miracle, sort of hearing a lot from the, from the South African point of view because they obviously couldn't be bothered at all to Michael Leach um, about how gutted they were and, and Brian Abana said it was like the most embarrassing thing that's ever happened to them sort of thing and it was so yeah. bad but he did it with that Brian Abana smiling face permanently yeah. <laughs> did, his face didn't change the whole time he was all upbeat and chuffed about how it was so yeah. depressing yeah. and Heidi Kamaya just being like oh yeah you know people Japanese people came up and thanking me for allowing them to win he's like oh, I didn't do that it was the worst moment of my career and then the only like, Welsh person we hear from is Nigel yeah well, for that's hours, not true, actually. No, that's we not true. Nigel, no. And we hear a bafflingly large amount from Hayden James as well. <laughs> Hayden James, is... who was obviously an ex-British and uh, Welsh, Welsh and Irish, uh, Welsh and British and Irish Lions international, isn't he? No, no, <laughs> he's just some random bloke who conducts <laughs> he's choirs. The, he's the chorist. He's the guy who conducts the fucking choir in the Millennium Stadium. It's really fucking like, I mean, for starters, his. Um, his house, particularly his velour sofa, is exactly how I expected it to look. Um, but yeah, just, his house is, is frankly terrible. So yeah, there's at just, least probably seven minutes this film, which is just him air conducting anthems in his terrible living room. Yeah, with a GoPro on the wall. Yeah, it's not even some weird fisheye thing, like in the corner, like, like in like in those like true life type things. And he's just stood in front of his stereo doing the conduct, not even with a baton, doing the conductor's yeah, hand thing. With his hands doing that. It's so it's you've got honestly, that in between Gareth Davis scoring against England. You've got him doing this choppy yeah. thing and his rather fucking, than talking to like Alan Wynne Jones or Dan Bigger or <laughs> somebody the relevant. What, the only people they really speak to who are currently playing a Carter, who's in it a lot because obviously again the narrative laid laws in it once. Uh, Yeremia, uh, the the Samoan coach, he's not even yeah. a player, and weirdly loads of Anthony Watson. 
Loads of Anthony Watson. And, and, and Anthony Watson's, Watson's mum and dad. Mum and dad. And they're talking about how, you know, we used it's to do such this. A narr- we used to there do was this. such a narrative that they clearly had that Anthony Watson, this, you know, this brilliant, wonderful symbol. He's going to score the try in the World Cup final, great, probably. It's great about, you know, everything that's Mixed great race, about, like, multicultural, biracial, England. Yeah. Yeah. And yet, and when it didn't happen, they just decided, ah, fuck it, we'll use we'll it. We'll just use what we've had already. And then there's a the point where his mum and his mum <laughs> and his mum goes at one point and talks about him. And you know, fair enough, it seems very nice. And she goes, you know, he's a beautiful boy. At which point I expected Marcus to shout from the dining room, I'm a person too, Mum, you know. Seriously. Well, there is a bit where she's like talking about them. Like she was like saying when she's saying that she's like watching um, you know them play and she's saying that she's like you know she gets really nervous when she was watching like her sons play rugby and there's no mention of marcus at all like <laughs> not you could think as an aside you know you think that whoever's interviewing would coach her to say like can you just say that again but say like you know anthony and and our other son marcus who's also a professional rugby player who plays sevens no, internationally as well you know, it's yeah. just like it's just left sort of like he's a beautiful this, boy yeah <laughs> Which one, you hear somebody smashing a glass in the kitchen. <laughs> um, yeah, so then Nigel's on telling the story about how he became a referee. And the thing is with Nigel, it's um, it's awful, isn't it, with Nigel? Because he actually has genuinely got a lovely, stroke, tragic, stroke, inspiring story. But I've heard it so much so now. many times. So many times. Yeah, I was like, yeah, I've got to fast forward this bit. And it's awful, isn't it? Because, I mean, you know, he, sh- he should continue to share that forever, shouldn't he? He should. But but I've heard it enough, I've, thanks. I've heard it an awful lot of times. And the thing is, his his whole patter with delivering it every time is always identical as well. Yes, like, that's true. But, yeah, it's... it's... But it's like... But yeah, Nigel's people... the, the only Welsh person that actually talks about rugby in this film. Yes, he is. Yeah, that's true. Yes. Despite like the two biggest upsets in this tournament were Wales, Japan, England. South Africa, yeah. and Wales, England. And the second one, they didn't even think to ask anybody who was involved on either side, except for Anthony Watson. Yeah. How it felt. It's one thing. I tell you what. The, uh, there was a weird sort of focus on the USA, which also led me to think maybe this is going for a, a, an American audience. Yeah. With that USA physio, where there's a weird bit of like. What's that? There's about... a really weird. <laughs> when she comes really on. Weird... Yeah. She comes on and says, "Oh yeah, you know, I played rugby myself." Background, and then her opening anecdotes about how wonderful rugby was. And when I came in, everyone would say, "You know, oh, I see why you're spending loads of time in the physio room now." Exactly. So, that's what I was going to say. Yeah. Like, so oh, that, yeah. That's so the best anecdote. On... Some misogynist fucking anecdote, an anecdote yeah. about misogynist jokes towards you is what, what you kind of. Oh, it's great rugby values, isn't it? Hashtag and also... even says nothing but respect, though. But she's like the physio, and then it cuts to a bit where um, there's an Amer- one of the USA props is doing a push up off the other prop's head <laughs> while he's sort of he's down on all fours, and they're obviously doing it to like sort of warm or strengthen the neck. But he's literally got his hand on the back of his head while he's and he's doing a push up on it. It's like biomechanically, surely that's not good. Um, I also love the fact that she says every time they sing the anthem, I cry, and then the director cuts to her quite clearly not crying. And looking a bit bored. I'm looking really bored, yeah. 
It also doesn't dwell on the results that USA had in that tournament either, does it? You'll notice. Um, (laughs) Well, it doesn't dwell on any of the results that any. It's like, oh, it's this great global game, and you know, look at Samoa, look at the land. It's like, oh yeah, every single one got absolutely fucking battered. By the way, (laughs) but it's never meant for because. It was difficult to know what they were trying to achieve, wasn't it? Because actually, if like they do in the with the football World Cups, you want to make an official film, mm. which they do as well. But then they also did this. It's so weird. It's it's really weird. It then and goes. There's so much Stuart Barnes. There's so, so and Barnes just keeps Stuart. popping up all over the fucking place. Yeah. It goes to a coach in an under sixteen coach in I think in a club in Tipperary in Ireland, Clan William. Yeah. I think when I looked it up, they're in Tipperary. First thing he says, I don't feel rugby's elitist. <laughs> that made me actually laugh out loud. I genuinely just could not help them. Well, and seriously. The thing is, there's nothing to say that that makes it wrong in a sense, but the fact is, yes, it is. <laughs> yeah, even, you know, particularly in Ireland, where it is exclusively basically a sport of good schools. Apart from Munster. Apart from Munster. You know, it's like, yeah, it's like... The lack of sort of self-awareness. This film opened with a member of the fucking royal family talking about rugby. (laughs) I don't know what else I could tell you. And then he goes on to later talk about how he basically got fuck beaten out of him every time he played (laughs) rugby, which is funny, to be fair. But Drew Drew really sort of... He he wanted to make a very clear point that it was worse in the inter-house games at school. They kicked the fuck out of him. And then when he played other schools, that wasn't as bad. He really yeah, laboured that point not, quite a lot. It basically sort of implies that the lads that went to Eton with him were a right bunch of pricks. Well, they were probably real... felt they were as superior as him, I imagine. So. Yeah, exactly. They, they weren't used to feeling inferior for <laughs> once in their lives. <laughs> so they really let him fucking have it. Um, <laughs> the only thing I do agree about Stuart Barnes within this is he talks about the volunteers at... That is the nicest bit of this film. And Sophie from Gloucester. Sophie from Gloucester is my favourite person in this entire film. Yeah. Oh, by a country mile. Yeah. And honestly, those or every fucking volunteer that I interacted with at that Rugby World Cup and I went to a couple of games, they were so good. And they were so enthusiastic. And they were so they were Barnes is entirely right to say that, you know, they had the, the, the mannerisms and the work ethic and the sort of manner of people that were being paid fucking shitloads to do that and they were doing it for free yes That's, that right there is what's good about rugby. yeah in fact you should have had half an hour on them in general about their yeah. backgrounds and why they chose to do it and all that kind of stuff but <laughs> so there's lots we've already mentioned there's lots of respect and values chat in this film right and this is where the first this is the first time at this point is when carter turns up oh, and there's man. a big long section about how how respectful it is that Richie McCaw, who was twelve, he was he was the water man, yes. for one of the games, and about how he carried water and how respectful it was. There's then a really elaborate thing. He says, Carter says, yeah, Richie brought me. Oh kicking my god, he went on about that. So Richie long. brought me kicking tea on, and it was like crushed in his pocket, and it was bent then when he took it out of his pocket, so I didn't have a flat kicking tea. So I had to say to him that he had to not put his the kicking tea in my pocket in his pocket because it was then it bends it and he agreed that he wouldn't do that and that was a perfect example of the kind of respect that there is in rugby that was literally the, how this story went dan carter is the most like it's don't get me it is close between him and McCaw. 
but I do think Dan Carter might be the most boring man that's ever lived. <laughs> just like, you know, He's perfectly nice, but he is the most bland. You don't put being. your kicker team in your pocket. Yeah, no problem, mate. And, you know, well, I mean, the respect Which is, is off the, the thing fucking is, charts. They show you the, the, like, the on-pitch footage of Carter basically having a word. <laughs> and with no audio, obviously. But you can see him just going, mate, it's, you know, can you keep it flat, please? And McCall goes, yeah, all right. <laughs> I did like, I must say, I did like from a cinematography point of view, the split screen hacker between. Oh, that was very good. The yeah, All Blacks yeah. and, and Tonga. Um, and Tonga. Yeah, oh, yeah. that was a bit. That's a bit goosebumpy, isn't that it? That was really, really good. Yeah. Particularly when I didn't, I didn't realize it at the time, but I didn't realize that the All Blacks basically sort of received the sort of received the challenge by sort of prepping their hacker as yeah, the doing the kind of as the. Breathing bit as the guy, yeah. That was just like, ah, oh, I mean, that is fucking. And they had a split screen top and bottom, and they were both looking down the camera, weren't they? Yeah. So you they saw what stuck, they would see. Stuck sort of a thing. little pylon cam in, but yeah, very, very great. good. That was very yeah. good, yeah. That and that's where you can laugh about the hacker and, and the other dance, the other you know challenge dancers and stuff. But um, they are when done. I mean, you know, there is something unique about them that you shouldn't lose. And everyone sort of says, oh fuck it, you know. I don't think you should get too fucking worked up about it, but. Why would you not want that? It is something that's mm. unique about the game, you know. So, um, yeah, but the Michael team, but... kitchen looks nice. That's, that's something else I noticed. And his Michael... lad, lad, lad was going to the fan park. Yeah. So anyway, <laughs> want... Johnny then turns up. Johnny Wilkinson turns up <laughs> looking exactly like, like the fucking Una bomber. <laughs> he looks like he looks like he's been cast away. He, he looks does. like the fucking Unabomber. The, He's got massive it's worst, hair. It's the worst beard I've ever seen anyone have. It's appalling. <laughs> it looks like someone's fucking, you know, trod and feathered him with 10,000 pubes. It's... <laughs> of course it takes... <laughs> As Oshin said, it looked very puby. Yeah. But he... <laughs> And it takes him, he starts smiling and he's talking and it takes him, what, 90 seconds before he gets to the misery of playing international rugby? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, when you get that shirt, it's like no feeling in the world. It's just so good to have that shirt on your back and, you know, it's no feeling like it. And then you realise how much you kind of really, how difficult and hard it is because you never want to lose that shirt ever. And that comes to dominate you. like, fucking hell, Johnny. Honest to God. <laughs> Every, Take yourself to a fucking have you, a spa day, mate. Get get a Turkish shave every done. Time, every time he talks about rugby and about his career, like it makes me think that the worst thing that ever happened to that guy was picking up a fucking rugby ball. He's like oh, he's like John Rambo, at the end of First Blood. I can't get it out of my head. It's five years and I still can't get it out of my head. Um. Yeah, so anyway, and, but he, yeah. And, and I think I don't think he's in it again, is he? He's in it very briefly again. It's very but yeah. Random. He's not in it a lot. I mean, maybe they just went fucking hell. I mean, I know he's Johnny Wilkinson, but this guy looks like he lives in a bush. <laughs> Jesus Christ, he's like having a black hole on screen. Everything gets sucked into it. <laughs> he does have he's big wild man vibes though. Like if you told me that he was living in a cave at this point, I wouldn't be shocked. <laughs> I still wouldn't be shocked because I kind of feel like of that's his, like the best. The end of his piece of camera, he went, Wilson! <laughs> <laughs> oh, can you imagine him drawing a face on like a, a, a Gilbert World Cup 2003 ball and can, running into the... I can imagine him spending hours and hours making rope out of vines. 
That'll be right up his fucking street. And I can imagine him spending four weeks making ropes out of vines and then burning them all because they weren't good enough and starting again. Yeah. Uh, and say, don't you tell then... me it's all right, Wilson. Don't you tell me that was all right. No, it's Gilbert. Gilbert. <laughs> yeah, yeah, Gilbert. Don't you tell me that's all right. I've got a 24-hour camera on me. You don't know what it's like, Gilbert. Oh, dear me. I mean, yeah, it's a bad... If it's, it's worth... I mean, I, I wasn't doing time, I wasn't paying attention to timestamps, but yeah, about sort of 30 minutes in, Johnny Wilkinson turns up and fuck me, it's worth it. For the, it's worth the price of a mission alone just to go, yeah. Jesus Christ, Johnny, what's happened there? <laughs> and it was after but that I started continue. sending bombs to different newspapers around the country, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like, and what? Why does is everyone in this film allergic to having a shave? <laughs> I mean, Johnny's an extreme, extreme Johnny's example. Johnny's the worst by <laughs> far. But Stuart Bonds looks like he's been on a four-day bender. Fucking Pichot's got a sort of weird. Oh, he has that ratty you know, beard though. Then it's all he's part, got that weird thing, ratty isn't it? Yeah, he's in it like loads. Everyone... Talking about how Argentina though. had to stop taking the piss and de- get dead good. Yeah, it's such a shame watching Argentina in this film because you realise how far they've fucking fallen. Especially fucking Sanchez, man. You're like, oh, remember when Sanchez was just looked like the future of everything rather than a complete destroyer of dreams, hope and enjoyment, which is what he's become. <laughs> uh, we also get a comment about Richie McCall sweeping out the changing oh, rooms. Oh, there's a lot of that. Uh, which there's a lot of that and fuck me. It just made And me it's more. how they pivot. So obviously, you know, the thing is, right, the thing rugby, right, it's just a lot I like about it is the way that there's the values and that because I see people sweeping the floor. You think, oh, because it'd be funny even going, because I see people think, here it fucking comes, sweeping the floor, <laughs> cleaning out the bins. You see, I don't know what this means. Just being, I would genuinely love to see somebody take a photo where they've tipped the fucking bins everywhere and smeared fuck off in boot dirt all over the walls and then just left. <laughs> I would genuinely find that hilarious. I would find it hilarious because it's it's beyond the cliche now and everyone does it and it's part of rugby's fucking smugness that I hate. And it's, of course, the assumption that everybody else doesn't. That's the yeah. thing. The thing nobody else tells you about it. You've got no idea if they do it or not. That's the thing. I reckon that, you know, probably football teams do it as well. Maybe who knows? Maybe they do, maybe, maybe they do don't. It. Who knows? It's... Who knows? They don't they don't make a point of fucking telling everyone about it. And that's what rug- the worst part about rugby is this fucking holier yeah. than thou, we're gonna oh. tell you how brilliant we oh, are. Why should you I mean not be funny? If I go to Ledger Centre, I don't clean up the changing room after I've been, I pack my bag and I fuck off. Do you know what I mean? I don't <laughs> because there's somebody who's in gainful employment to do that. <laughs> You're robbing someone of a living. Basically, yeah. What does it actually say? It's awful, isn't it? And actually, um, when does it become a thing? Because all the fucking teams I played in, the level I played at, you chucked all your minging kit sort of at a bag in the middle of the changing room, and you all fucked off. <laughs> it's, it's the all, it is the All Blacks' fault. Oh. And nobody had a problem with it. We had... We had Uncle no. Bulgaria, the fucking kit man at our place, and he'd just come and clean it all up. We were in the bar within half an hour. <laughs> uh, yes. However, watching this yes. again did make me remember how much I really enjoyed this World Cup. Well, you it was here. There was, yeah, there was well, a lot for you to like about it, wasn't there? Well, there was one bit for me to like, literally. 
Everything else was just misery. And watching players get injured every single day. <laughs> <laughs> but no, I'm yeah. wond- wondering who our 17th choice fucking centre is. But like, it's Tyler Morgan. It was Tyler, um, I was going to say it was Tyler Morgan. <laughs> of course it was. Um, it's just yeah. It it. I loved that World Cup because it was here, and because to be fair to Ink, you know, they did a fucking brilliant job of it. They did like off the field. The tournament, yeah. Off the field, everything around it was fucking fantastic. The only thing that wasn't brilliant about it was the fact that it was a tournament devoid of any real fucking drama aside from Brighton. Well, as it went into the not apart from the Scotland Australia game, as it yeah. as it went into the knockout stage, it's like a lot of tournaments where you get a lot of good games early on, it peters out. Remember mm. the uh, the football World Cup in Korea, Japan, when South Korea did so well, but then because a lot of the big teams had gone out, there was a crushing it, inevitability a about the knockout yeah. game about the knockout games, you know. Mm. Uh, if I ever hear Stuart Bonds talking about the Welsh psyche again, by the way, I might go around his house. He grew up in Wales. He knows what the Welsh psyche's like. Yeah. He went to a private I mean, school in Wales. He knows what the Welsh psyche's like. <laughs> Did he go to a Welsh private yeah. school, actually? I don't know. Don't know. Don't care. Fuck him. Come. <laughs> um, the arrogance and the bitterness of the pathetic little man that he is going like... He talks like... He actually talks really sort of like respectfully about sort of the exact like the Irish World Cup problem, which is much more of a big deal in the context of all of this than Wales losing to South Africa. Mm. But he can't resist going in and talking about how Wales don't win tight games when they've literally won a tight game against England like two weeks before <laughs> or a week before or whatever. Yeah. Like, do you know we might be better place to talk about the Welsh psyche? Somebody Welsh. Give me ask fucking Hayden. Ask Hayden's sake. Or, radical idea, ask a Welsh player or a Welsh coach. <laughs> but that seems beyond the ken for this one. Um, honestly, it's so good Sky lost all the rugby and I don't have to fucking listen to that twat every week anymore because fuck me, an hour and a half of him and I was re- climbing the walls ready to fucking go after him. I like him on politics on Twitter though. He has some good rows. He just lurk and he have does. a look at it. But yeah, it's it's like yeah. So a lot of it focuses a lot of focus on England. There's not many games they massively focus on, one of which is England Australia, and it's focused on because it shows it. I don't know how they selected them, but they select three lads going down the fan park in Richmond, of course. And I don't think I'd get on with those lads. Yeah, well, say it. and you know the thing is, and you look at them, and I'm sure they're all right, but you look at them, you think, let me paint you a picture of those you haven't seen it. Upturned collars, each one of them has a shirt, has a polo shirt on. Yeah, classic classic England shirt with upturned collar. Upturned collar, far too much work on the pec deck in the gym. You know, tight chest, you know, a lot of work on the pec deck. And then at least two of them inexplicably in flat fucking caps. Yeah, flat caps and uh, a barber, but like a trendy barber jacket, like a black one. With a with one of them, one of them is bald with a big uh, ginger chin strap beard, wearing a flat cap, a black barber sort of light bomber jacket type thing, and a pale blue button down shirt. And he looks like one of those people who does a hundred crunches and fifty press ups before he goes out on a Friday night. You know them people. Hundred percent, yeah. 
They put just it on Instagram, it, don't give they? Himself a bit of, give himself a bit of a pump before he goes out. Yeah, but yeah, yeah. and just all part of their general keeping it fucking hench routine. Yeah, so I wasn't sad watching all of them go through the emotional ringer to lose against Australia. Um, yeah, it was. It's a weird one to focus. Obviously, they focus on it because it is the sort of, and I think because in reality, that's where they decided to send all their fucking camera crews through. Yeah, thinking it would be because the triumphant thinking they were still winning sort of, of the group England, or whatever, yeah. Yeah, England beat Australia and, and still qualify for the quarterfinals sort of thing. And then, yeah, it wasn't. And again, uh, they don't dwell on the game much, but let's not forget, it was a fucking tonking. Yeah, it was an a absolute tonking. They make, they make it seem like it was much more of a game than it was. Yeah, that it was like a three tries and, you know, two, two tries <laughs> to one Watson's, and all that. Anthony Watson scores a try and it's like, oh, we're no. back in this. It's like, you fucking weren't. You oh, no, were. it was fucking awful. Yeah. <laughs> um, and then yeah. it's after this that we get the parable of the grass divots. It's after yes, this it particular is. scene that the parable of the grass divots comes in. I tell you who else we get a lot of from this is the photographer, which is weird as well. Oh yeah, there's a, photog- a there's a photographer who's worked at Twickenham for thirty years, and who spends a long time telling us about how sports photography worked in the days of films and negatives. That's an anecdote that goes on for about two and a half minutes. It reminded me of my granddad's mate Albert, who could make any story last ten minutes. <laughs> He's incredible. It's, yeah. yeah, there's a lot of that. However, <laughs> I swear. My... My favourite bit of this film, when we move into the quarterfinals, right, is French fans watching France get battered by the All Blacks. <laughs> Fuck Gogglebox. Yeah. This is what I want to so watch. So paint your picture there, Jamie, if you didn't see it. It's what, half a dozen of them, eight of them, in a sort of semicircle well, around the telly. In the credits, there's about 12 people mentioned. I assume there must be people coming and going. And, it, and there is definitely... Three of them put their coat on at one point. Fuck this, yeah. yeah. Once, once New Zealand score their third try, some people put their coats on, which is brilliant. So they're in a, they're um, are, the inside of what's probably a jeet. It's all very stone floor and very lovely. It's isn't lovely. It? Yeah. They're all drinking red wine. And the main yeah. guy in it, whose name, he's obviously just a fan, but quite obviously yeah. was a prop in his playing days and looks terrifying. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Going a bit bald got, now, but looks like he could still make saying, a mess got, of you. He's got what I like to call props hair. Yes. He's like... He's his hair. He spent so many times, like so much time, smashing the top of his head into somebody else's shoulder, that even though he's got quite a thick head of hair, it is quite thin at the front, just through friction. And they but are just I totally guess. philosophical and resigned the whole time Brilliant. to how shit it's it is. So great. They, yes, they like, might, they're like yeah. a talking Gallic shrug, all of them. Yeah. <laughs> when, when they talk about what's his face, Jose Gear, and they're like, "Ah, oh, this is a new Lomo, isn't he?" It's like, no, he wasn't. No, he's he was surveyor, wasn't it? Oh, he's like, no, he's yeah. not. You're just really shit. <laughs> just really shit. I mean, they were so bad at that tournament, weren't they? I mean, they were a po- I mean, he, Stuart Barnes is like, it wasn't that the Orb, they, you know, that New Zealand, that France was so bad. It's that New Zealand was so good. It's like, no, 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 no. no that's, that's lies. That's <laughs> fucking bollocks, man. France were, yeah, they, were, they, they wrote the book on cataclysmically awful. All around that period, basically. All over the place. They were fucking terrible playing in that the red The dog gym. end of the Sant'Andrea years. <laughs> With what's-his-face at fullback, your favourite. Oh, Spedding. Yeah, Scott oh. Spedding. 
<laughs> the world's most fridge-like fullback. <laughs> yes. But yeah, I mean, yeah, that's that's a wonderful one because in that it's so undramatic, it's just glorious to watch. <laughs> well, you just and as a part of it, at the end of the game, where, where you just go where, the, where New Zealand go over for about their seven or eight <laughs> try or whatever. It's not even the end of the game where he just picks up the bottle of wine and goes rouge. Yeah, <laughs> but what's funny is he goes, he goes rouge. But the, the translation says, "Does anyone want any red wine?" Red wine. <laughs> That's what the subtitles like. Yeah. Rouge. <laughs> yep. <laughs> we got a pint glass. <laughs> Sorry, a five hundred milliliter glass because it's France. Yes. Yeah. And then it it just walked. Then then I suppose there's a big focus on Australia, Scotland, isn't there? As there should yes. be. And that 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 yeah. decision doesn't get any better. Oh no, it's terrible in the um, retelling. You know, he should have checked yeah. it. I think in real time it wasn't a bad decision. No, it's the but, fact that he yeah, didn't. The fact did, he didn't. Did see he, him che- he didn't it, check it? Did he? No, it's it's weird, isn't it? I'll tell you what else is weird: the um, Ireland Argentina quarterfinal. Yeah. Obviously, brilliant performance. Sort of set. Interspersed with two people tangoing, while oh, yeah, while Gus Pichot talks about how Argentine culture is sort of based in tragedy or something, and, the, and it, then do, it's just it, like, do, it it's doesn't just like really work. It's just like the tango, but then never makes out, never sort of squares that fucking. It's because they had a production no, meeting. They say, "I see Argentina." You say, "Maradona can't use him." I see Argentina, you say, tango, we can use tango. How are we going to use it? Don't know. Can't use that either. Well, we've we've got 700 quid left, and these dancers are free. So let's let's do that. How can we make it work with rugby? We will, don't worry. Gus will think of something. And he tries, bless him. It's awful. It's like the tango. It would be so much better if they'd just shown us the game in high-level form, (laughs) which was a brilliant performance. So yeah, so and then, yeah, and then this film massively peters out. Let's not be. But there is the there is the as I mentioned before the the glorious, well glorious but also awful press conference where Greg Laidlaw's trying to articulate how disappointed he is and oh, almost yes. almost brings a tear to your eye. He is so yes. spiritually broken, and he's doing his best to do the captain's thing while Vern Cotter sits next to him. It's like this stony faced, emotionless. Well, how could he be emotionless and terrifying at the same time? But he is, yeah. Well, it's just basically there's something bubbling under the surface there that's just absolutely terrifying in a sort of primal way. But there's not anything overt going on. <laughs> I think that's kind of how I how I feel about it. But you know, it is. What well, you say, Greg? Yeah, yeah we, well, we were minutes away from a, a World Cup semi-final, and I'm not sure where. Well, they say we'll have to have our time to grieve tonight, or something. He says, doesn't he? Before. Something like that. It's fucking. It's awful. Bleak, blessed. It is bleak. And then it just <sighs> then it goes on to the semi-final, and then and then the narrative about Carter's redemption from injury comes takes out over. Nowhere. Comes out of nowhere. Yeah. And well, his dad they mentioned it right at the start, where Carter goes, "Oh yeah, I've been injured for a bit. I missed." Yeah. You know. And then and then even at the fucking public press conference before the World Cup final we get Stuart Barnes asking, asking the question, Dan Carter yeah. a question it's like could you not have picked any other journalist is he the only rugby journalist any of these people know I always think he is because I think he's got a reputation in the southern hemisphere in the same way that sort of what's his face um, 
Ratui has in right. up here, in that he's just a gobshite. <laughs> so, but I what I noticed what... was is that the producer of this was Rob Sloman, who used to work for Sky. Now, the reason why I know who Rob Sloman is is because on the football podcast, he's recently directed and released the documentary Howard's Way about Everton in the 80s because he's a big Everton fan. And my mate from the football pod interviewed him. So I listened to that, obviously. And yeah, he used to work for Sky. So I reckon he was like, well, I'll get Stewie on. Well, it it does. It must be said that the other two... Nice bloke, Rob Sloman, by the way. The other two sort of non-player talking heads in this that aren't Gus Pichot are Liner and... um, Fucking oh, Kiwi Hooker. Oh, yeah, Fitz. Yeah. Yeah. Who are both Sky Pundits. <laughs> you know. He's it, part it, of the it, All it, Black I, Club, Fitzy, by the way. Feel, fucking hell, that's weird, isn't it? That went on for a while, <laughs> didn't it? The talk well, about having the All long. Black Club. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's, so it doesn't feel like whoever was involved with that really thought that hard about who no. they were going to get in. They I just walked to the room next door and said, <laughs> yeah. well, you three oh, available? Fitzy and Fitzy Liner. Uh, yeah, all right. Barnes as well. Yeah. But so yeah. Fitzy's like, I'm only coming on if I can tell me all black jersey story. You would always into that, but I'm not doing it all the way. Oh, for fuck's sake. Yeah, go on then. Fitzy's 11 minutes long. <laughs> if he's going to tell his all black jersey song, I want to tell... Tell the one about my son trying to take the 1991 one to the fan park and then making some weird thing about exchanging it with a girl, which, I mean, that was just weird. He's not a natural raconteur. That's all I'm going to say about Michael Liner. I'm sure he makes a decent wedge out of after dinner speaking, but... Yeah. I mean, we've already lost 10 minutes of the film to Dan Carter telling his fucking kicking team equals respect <laughs> story. You haven't got time to do all of this. Well, I'll do it otherwise. Oh, fuck off then. So then we have the final. So again, yeah, so the, the final is then all about Dan Carter's redemption from injury and winning. And he, it was a fucking cakewalk to the final and a cakewalk. So they tried to create some drama by somehow having it very emotional for him. And in a way, it should have been emotional for him. But then, of course, it's Dan Carter trying to articulate how emotional it is for him, which it's is so a little bit like somebody trying to articulate emotion with a fucking Sharpie pen on a cardboard box when you can't <laughs> draw. So it's... He really does. He, he tries to go to the well of emotion, doesn't he? Tries to bring you know, his dad into it, does he? Because me and my dad, yeah. with me and my dad, we have always been tight and close. And I phone him regularly, all the time, sometimes when I can, to tell him when I've won games and when I've lost games. And when I won the World Cup final, I could not wait to phone my, phone dad, my dad and tell it's him. Like- it's like, yeah, Dan, most most people would probably want to ring their dad and they just won the World Cup final. <laughs> yeah, exactly. it's, like, it's not a unique experience that you share with us. It's fucking awful. Like, this film does have its moments where it's quite... Well, how many times you had to reshoot it? Just, no, that was great, Dan. That, that was great. But just, one more run at it, right? Just one more run at it. Imagine, right? Just, You're kicking that last kick. You can feel it going over, you know... Take yourself back to that place just, and just, reach, just do just it again. Reach, just reach down, reach down and squeeze as hard as you can. Everything. As hard as you can. Try and think about squeeze, it. Just keep squeezing them. Keep squeezing them <laughs> until something <laughs> until goes out. Okay, I'll go, go, go down, go. I phoned my dad after. 
Oh, I'm sure Dan Carter's a very nice. So man. I can't. You've watched That's Chasing Grey. It must just be that for 80 minutes, is it? I would. I honestly think McCall's more interesting than Dan Carter because with Dan Carter, he played the game of being a celebrity, and he did the underwear adverts, and he did all of the modelling and stuff. Yeah, I suppose. Yeah. But he is the most boring man alive. <laughs> with McCall, I feel like. He's not actually as boring as it's made out to be, but he is just an intensely, intensely normal private person. Mm. And it's, and I think that he might be actually quite a nice bloke and quite a good laugh at times, but he is just maniacally devoted to what he was doing. You know, McCaw flies fucking gliders and helicopters. That's more interesting than Dan Carter's anything Dan Carter's ever done. There's a lot of that in Chasing Great. There's a lot of Richie McCaw in gliders. Oof, Oof. I tell you. <laughs> the silence of the wind whistling <laughs> past the glider. <laughs> while, while Richie McCaw sits with the wind not going through his immovable hair. <laughs> so That's the, the best thing about that chasing the poster for Chasing Great is it's a profile shot of Richie McCaw's hair and you really do get the sense of how stiff and brush-like it is. It's remarkable. <laughs> So, we've watched three films now, ostensibly mm. about rugby. Ostensibly. We've watched Pitbull's Punch-Ups, which wasn't really a film. We've no. watched um, The Brighton Miracle, which was supposed to be a film. And we've watched this one. Can we rank the them? Miracle. The Brighton Miracle, which was all films in... <laughs> Every genre of one. film, yeah. yeah. Uh, we also watched Building Jerusalem as well. Well, we did. Forget. I Which, think Building Jerusalem is is the best out of these four by quite a leap. Just because despite not being Jerusalem brilliant comes, itself. Building Jerusalem comes from an era where it was not quite as players were not quite as guarded and coaches were not quite as guarded and access was not quite as zealously guarded. Um worst one is probably let's be honest the worst one's Brighton Miracle is fucking appalling. Yes, because it actually is trying to be something. It loses points for the effort it's put in, really. Yeah. At least with Brian Moore, there's no effort gone into that whatsoever. No, that was literally, as we said at the time, filmed in about two hours hmm. on Brian Moore's lunch break. And feels like it, but in a weird way, it's quite sort of enjoyable. I would probably go this... as yeah, I agree. Building Jerusalem is the best, but I, I mean, we were grading on a fucking curve here, all right. Um, the first half an hour of that was good. Building yeah, Jerusalem. it, it was, goes actually. wrong after that. But it, so yeah, yeah, okay. So we, so I think ranking it four, you've probably got Bright Miracles are worst at four. Then this one, not far behind. To yeah, be honest. I agree. Then Brian Moore because it is what it is. Yeah. Then Building Jerusalem because it is actually a recognisable documentary with an actual fucking idea to it and actually a a plot and a narrative line. So, right. They're not good though. None of them have been good. No, you don't have to. I mean, thanks for bearing with us and fucking doing this because really it's beyond the core of those who have watched it. Those who didn't watch it and listened to us bang on about it, by all means go back and see what we're talking about. But it was uh, hopefully, I reckon what we've been doing has been more interesting. Shall we very quickly do the shit goods that have come in? Yeah. They're drying up. Um, well, I don't really blame. Well, I can't blame you because having it's... a lot of shit goods, to be brutally honest. Because I mean, <laughs> the, um, what's 
not a lot going on right now, is there? Dave McGee says that shit is this Photoshop, and you can't see it, ladies and gentlemen. But have you seen it, Josh? I don't know if I have, no. The Guinness Pro 14, may the 4th be with you. Oh, God. Now I'm going to have to look at this, aren't I? Um, yeah, we are, We are of course, recording this on the 4th, as most of you know that we record on a Monday which night. Which has uh, a representative from each team with Darth Vader as a big shadow in the background, and they're all running, and there's been a lightsaber photoshopped oh, in. Oh, God, that's awful. <laughs> also, pretty sure that's, you know, that's definitely infringing some trademarks. Somebody's going to get in tr- I mean, you know, I mean, luckily, Disney they- are quite relaxed about these things generally, aren't <laughs> I was they? I going to say, have they got the express position, the permission of uh, the Walt Disney Company? Did you see Disney I mean, when it it's... said, share with us your thoughts on May the 4th or something? Then the next tweet in the chain said, by replying to this tweet, you you, you agree to give away every content and every property and what you post. <laughs> yeah, we can use this wherever. We, we own like. your thoughts forever if you respond to this tweet. <laughs> yeah, that's pretty bad. Have a look if you haven't seen it. Uh, it's sh- fucking appalling. It's real. I mean, I know they're all working from home, but fuck me. Pie Face says shit is Beaumont being re-ele- re-elected, which is about as exciting as another bloody Zoom quiz. Uh, good. <laughs> it's not sure if you're happy with the cross promotion, but the distant pod featuring everyone's favourite Mike Bubbins. It is a good podcast. The socially distant. It's a good podcast, that. Yeah. Is, yeah. If you're burning through your podcasts like we aren't, um, <laughs> then yep, well, yeah, by all means. Squidge's new one's good as well. He's going gay by game through the Rugby World Cup 2011. Oh, see, that'll be a good laugh. I think we might be asked to guest on them at some point. Yeah, fair enough. It's not yeah. like you've got a lot else on well, there. Yeah, indeed. Uh, Gordon White says, shit is having to enjoy, endure Frozen 2 twice rather than watch, rather than watch 15 beyond the try lines. And saying that, Mate. I'm probably fortunate to miss. Honestly, I've not seen Frozen 2, but I can guarantee... I'll bet you a million pounds it's better. <laughs> I... Frozen came out when my kids were a bit older, so they therefore could watch it independently of me. So I never watched it. So I've got nowhere near Frozen Two. I've seen bits of Frozen. I've watched Frozen. I watched Frozen. It's fine. It's well, most right. Disney stuff is, isn't it? Yeah, it's like they don't make shit. Because Do you know it's what is good? Fucking... What is which good? Is a, which is an underbubbler one, which me and my daughter watched the other day. Cause I, I remember taking it. Is uh, the Princess and the Frog? Have you seen that one? No, it's very good. That. Cracking yeah. music in that. Lot, lot of, lots of New Orleans ragtime shit going on. Some enjoyable frog action. Quite. You know, yeah. And, and, uh, and then last night, we all gathered around as a family to watch Toy Story 4, and me and oh. my kids cried. Oh, honestly, Toy Story 4 is a... It's a... It's, a, it's, it's, a, it's amusing on, on, on getting old and realising that you need to get out of the way. The... Um, <laughs> yeah, quite. And also... It's 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 an obvious question, but has there been a, a series of four films where each one of them is as good as the Toy Story films? Probably not, to be honest. I mean, they're, they're undeniably extremely high level. I mean, like, obviously the first four Fast good. and Furious films. Well, the, f- the first four Friday the Thirteenth films. <laughs> the last four Friday the Thirteenth films. The uh... anyway, moving on. Shit, Matt H says, shit, the columns and columns and columns about the election of the chair of World Rugby and the hilarious <laughs> idea that anybody in this role would have the ability to make a meaningful change. Good point, Matt. He says, good, yeah. though, and listen to this. He says, we've had McDonald's delivery open here in Canada throughout the entire coronavirus. Oh, my God, you that's bastard. A, you bastard, that's a fucking game changer, that is, isn't it? Is it because you've got more open space there, Matt? 
in that Canada? I'm praying, I really am, that we get some some sort of, you know, when they announce this relaxation lockdown, I don't really care about going out. I don't care about going back to work. Can you just open up McDonald's delivery again? I'd be happy then. Don't See, care. I live in a place where they, there is no Uber Eats. And oh, the only right. delivery you can get is from the Indian. Even though, of course, all the Indian takeaways are not Indian, which is all <laughs> ironic. They're mostly run by Bangladeshi families in this area. Um, in fact, it's the entire country over there, I think. Anyway, uh, that, so Matt, thanks for rubbing that in. John Langley says, good, all the oldish full games of rugby being record, being put up on YouTube. He said, but shit is that every country's only picking games where they batter the opposition. Yeah, you're right, John. You want a bit of drama, yeah, don't like, you? Yeah, there's not a lot of famous, like, tight sort of nip-tuck games. It's all like, remember when we absolutely mullered this lot? I don't know, but maybe there's a... Maybe that says something psychologically about where people are right now. But... Saying that, when we watched that bloody film that we just watched, you know, I was still extremely pleased when Gareth Davis scored that try for England, despite having seen it about 17 million times. It is. So, it, you know. Yeah, it is quite a glorious moment in rugby, to be honest, everything about it. Anyway, Dave Connolly Mealing gets touch. He says, Good is a new recipe I found for French bread, which my daughter is now demanding I make every day. He said, However, shit is the fact that bread flour is only available now from drug dealers. <laughs> it's so expensive, they're cutting it with cocaine to make it go further. <laughs> Do you know what? I've got a... I mean, I probably shouldn't say this because I also get burgled, but I've got a full fucking bag of Alison's strong bread, white bread flour Oof. in my that I managed to pick up last week. But what I haven't got is any fucking yeast. Well, my wife is making it. a sourdough fucking... What's it called? A sourdough starter? starter. Can't be fucking bothered No, I can't be. I reckon this is going to... She'll, she'll get bored. Um, James Gork Roger gets in touch and he says that good is the classic rugby matches are sticking up on the yeah he said, and also good is Ellis Genge yeah we covered that last week Dave Price says that shit is the complete lack of coherent structure or story to that documentary oh you actually watched it Dave yeah fucking too okay, right yeah no they, they, they invent there was obviously the story was England's and Stuart Barnes even goes so far to say it, you know, we were expecting them to get to, you know, at least the semi-final. Losing final would have been fine. <laughs> was his kind of... And that was obviously what the documentary was meant to chart. And then, you know, after two games, it was basically all over. And then it was over after three. Do you remember when they had to go to Manchester to play Uruguay? <sighs> when they were already things. out. Yeah. Fucking hell. <laughs> One of the most wretched things that any team has ever had. And all the Northern Rugby fans, yeah, we get to see England finally. So, <laughs> fucking hell, not really. Um, so, anyway, Dave says, also shit, is they spent five minutes talking about why Robshaw kicked a touch in that Wales game. but don't Fuck even me. But don't even mention that try from Lloyd Williams and Gareth Davis combination or the state of Wales' backline at that point, which made it even more dramatic. Yeah, they, they, they gloss over absolutely everything to do with any kind of... It's so weird, man. It's such a weird thing that they've made. I don't really think... I mean, imagine being fucking Lloyd Williams in that game. Now, ideally, Lloyd, yeah. what we want you to do is go on, play out of position on the wing, and the first touch you have, kick it with your wrong foot, 
perfectly under the post <laughs> so that we can score to win. Okay? No problem, boss. Yeah. <laughs> sure, yeah. Unbelievable. Anything else? That's yeah, what got they, the, yeah. Oh, anyway. Oshin says, was shit as previously mentioned, the volume of Barnes in this pod, in this pod, in this pod oh, as well, no. but in, in the documentary, and the egregious beard on Wilkinson. He says, but good is some positive signs in Ireland that we might have sport again by August. Yeah, there's a lot of caveats around providing the virus doesn't come back. So he said, also I... shit is the fact that Christ, Dan, boring, Dan Carter is boring, isn't he? Yes, he is, Oshin. Yes, he is. It's, yeah, I'm I'm trying not to get excited about um, about any kind of sport going back until they're literally on the pitch and I'm watching it on my telly. To be honest, Adam Reese gets in touch. Hello, Adam, and he says, "Good is the Paul Thorburn pipe bomb." Not sure I agree with a lot of it, but it could be the basis of a New Testament Genge-led post-COVID fifteen magnificent rugby utopia. I've only seen the responses to this, not what he actually said. I've not read it. Is he what? Is it? It was. Is it all just old man shouts at cloud and everything was better? Hundred percent. Yeah, like rugby was better in my day, etc. It's uh, like. I get what, why he's saying what he's saying, but it's all so fucking, like, just not, it's just wrong. He's just wrong. So this is why people are upset at Hadley Park, you see. He shouldn't be moving to Japan and retiring over there. He should be retiring to Wales to be available for thermonuclear pointless takes about Welsh <laughs> rugby in perpetuity. Yeah. What he actually said was that, like, the, glo- the change in the rugby calendar will ruin rugby basically, is what he's saying. People are always predicting that it's, it's going to be ruined, aren't they? And yet, it it never is. It's, yeah, it's... it's yeah, there's a lot of old man shouts at Cloud. There's a lot of everything about rugby at the moment is shit. And it's like... I get it, we're all quite disappointed about Bill Beaumont in their own way, but, like... But the game is what it is, isn't it? The one of the reasons why we often talk, don't we, about the fact that we are, you know, equally compelled and repelled by the sport <laughs> is that it is. We can't help the fact that we fucking love it and every bit about it on the field is lovely, generally. And yet, yeah. there's all this stuff around it that drives us fucking mad from time to time. Absolutely it just so happens that I played it, fucking loved it, and can't get away from it, sort of thing. So, not that I want to get away from it either, but you know what I mean. It's if I came to it in the cold light of day, I'd probably go, I'm not really fucking interested in that, to be honest. There's too much of it that gets on my nerves. But actually, once you've got the love, you can't get it. And it's okay. That's all right. You don't have to love every part of it. That's the other thing no, about yeah, rugby. So... Rugby Twitch in particular, there's something wrong with you if you don't revel in every part of the culture, you know? Yeah, whereas I level with you. There's a lot about rugby that I don't like. And a lot of it that's just bollocks and made up anyway. That's the other thing. Yeah. But oh, like yeah. the fucking William Webb Ellis story. It started back then and has never stopped. <laughs> the romanticization of the not of it. Yeah, it's yeah. I mean, let's all agree that rugby is a flawed concept. Yeah, all and... of humanity is in here. Funnily enough, <laughs> and all of humanity—not all of humanity—is good. So it's yeah. you know that, and that's okay. You're not a traitor contains... to the sport by admitting that. Yeah, contains multitudes. Finn. Yeah. Anyway, tell you what is good in a yeah is is this, which is the new issue. 
the yeah. new issue of Rugby World, which is the uh, inclusive and diversity issue. Oh, okay. Um, which is celebrating uh, disability rugby, mixed ability rugby, uh, diversity in rugby in general, gay and trans rugby. Uh, got a can, predictably has a massive interview with Nige, obviously. Well, he is the fucking leading man, um, isn't he? That's of course enough. he is, yeah. Uh, there's a feature on the rise of the Bingham Cup. Uh, it's talking about what rugby's transgender policy should be. There's stuff about wheelchair rugby, blind rugby, deaf rugby. I, Given what Rugby World's subscriber and general reader demographic is likely to be, I think it's... like I don't often... you know, I've got a very mixed view of Rugby World as a mag, but like... It feels like this is a very quite a brave thing for them to do, given what their readership demographic probably is, and also a really important thing because we, in our sort of lefty Twitter bubble, know all about this shit and don't need anybody to tell us otherwise. But like, it's good that you know a magazine that's probably going to be read by primarily fucking older people who are perhaps not as woke and engaged with all this stuff as other people will hopefully read this and learn stuff. I mean. It's, Isn't Sarah Mockford the editor now? Sarah Mockford is the ent- editor now, yeah. And you know, it's 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 important that you know big visible aspects of rugby media deal with this stuff, particularly in you know with the fallout from the Falau thing and all that sort of stuff. It's good that they're dealing with this stuff in mm-hmm. this kind of overt way. I'm slightly sort of, I don't always like when magazines go so it's because you feel a bit patronizing about when they sort of like oh and here's this sort of women in rugby issue or whatever which is why we've never done that much because i don't want to i don't want to dabble in something i don't genuinely watch or enough of and not because i just never have and i've only got a certain amount of time to allocate to watching rugby and you know maybe i should but i don't and the last thing we want to do is try and cover something in a half-arsed way because we should because that's even fucking less respect really yeah, exactly. And I, don't, I don't want to be tokenistic. And I do think that if, you know, Rugby World are going to do something like this, which is good, then they need to be covering this sort of shit all the time now every month and it needs to become part of the fabric of the mag. But that doesn't change the fact that them doing it is still good. What is and also good, speaking of Rugby World, is Al Demick from Rugby World making a point on the Twitter this week. How the fuck are you lot all, all affording these fucking ridiculously expensive barbecues? Al's what is it great, with £1,000 barbecues, man? Sam Warburton yesterday like, was just like, oh yeah, I'm going to get the barbecue on, and it's one of those fucking £1,000 egg things. It's like, they've all been sent them. I bought, um, I bought a Weber, Weber one, because I did mm. a barbecue for my son's First communion 15 years ago. No, 11 years ago. I've still got it. It was 110 quid. I remember thinking at the time, fucking hell, this is a bit pricey, but it is a Weber and it has got a 10-year guarantee and it's got a proper lid and all that shit. And and now people are not even fucking blinking out about paying £1,000 for stuff. Yet another reason why this century fucking stinks is that. <laughs> it's... Yeah, because like my barbecue is from B and Q, right? It cost me about sixty quid. It's fine. I can cook things on it. It's they, they taste nice. The fact is, as long as it's got a fucking lid, it all does yeah. the same fucking job. <laughs> and you can get a stick-on but... thermometer for it, and it does the same fucking job. <laughs> Friends, 
If you have, if you are one of the people that's got one of these, giant so Commando egg Joe, if you fancy us yeah. sponsoring us, <laughs> <laughs> well, prove us wrong, Commando Joe. Yeah. Send us your fucking. I do a lot of grilling. There's photos on fucking Twitter of me doing fucking yeah. five-hour ribs and shit. Which, as long as you've got a lid, the best barbecue you can eat, right? Generally speaking, yeah. is fucking jerk chicken. If you go to West London and they're doing it in half a fucking oil can with no lid on, and it's fucking <laughs> belting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And yet, here we are with these things that look like, you know, gigantic sex toys that cost a thousand quid. And I'm just... Prove us wrong, Commando Joe. Prove us wrong. Yeah. Send us some of your comically massive, comically overpriced barbecues with thermometers on the side. And I looked at that and... fucking big green love egg thing, whatever it's called, and I fucking... <laughs> I went on there, and it was like, it's 900 quid, and I was like, oh, fucking hell. And then... That was that wasn't even with legs on it. Yeah, it's nine hundred quid legs. without legs. Yeah, you, you pay nine hundred quid to kick it around your fucking garden like a fucking grass roller. <laughs> uh, Here ended a... the fucking barbecue rant. They do a tiny one though. There's only five hundred quid, but you could literally, I reckon, you could fit two burgers on that tops. And you won't be allowed to do that because that's not proper barbecue. Exactly. If you put a burger on one of these, they'll fucking send a drone to bomb your house for not treating it with the right respect. You've literally, you've got to use it to cook brisket and absolutely nothing else. And that's the thing, somebody else made that point, that very point. They're all cooking massive lumps of brisket on it, which is about 45 quid a fucking chuck. <laughs> They're doing it every three days. So the tiny Joe, like the tiny little Kamado Joe barbecue, right, that could barely fit a burger on it, right? Yeah. In the specs, it says... It weighs only 31 kilos. <laughs> 31 fucking kilos? Only? 31 kilos for a barbecue, and it hasn't got wheels. Yeah, the wheels are another 300 quid. We've already established that. <laughs> 31 kilograms, man. And the thing is, the other thing, if you buy one of these things, it seems That's that you, it's then stuff. compulsory to pay some fucking builder to come and build it into some massive elaborate garden fucking structure scenario as yeah. well. And I bet it doesn't work properly unless you buy the fancy fucking charcoal they make to go with it as Premium well. Premium charcoal. Costs, What's that all about? Probably, probably costs about 70 fucking quids for a bag. Uh, you can see it when you open every bag. You feel it when you pick, oh. pick up each oversized block. And of course you taste it cook after cook. That's the beauty of better charcoal. I love that. Fetishising charcoal. This is where we've got to. <laughs> it's burnt fucking wood. <laughs> but seriously, let the word go forth from here. As long as it's got a fucking lid, it will do exactly the same it's job. Fun. And if you buy it's a stick-on thermometer, which will cost you 11 quid from Amazon, it does exactly the same fucking job. <laughs> you might get a bit more heat loss. Whoop-de-fucking-do. It's only meant to be about 120 degrees. That's the whole point of fucking barbecuing. <laughs> It's slow and low. You fucking tell which, them. Which is good if you were the lady, but ain't good if you were in the jungle. And on that, and on that good morning Vietnam quote, we are ending this episode. A mere, an hour and 43 fucking minutes after we started. So uh, thank you everybody for listening. I hope this has managed to get you through whatever fucking, I imagine empty hole you must be living in if this is what you're after. Yeah. So... Um, <laughs> 
But we love you all for sticking with we us. Do. I was saying before, we haven't lost any listeners during this, which I find amazing, because there's no marvelous. commute. So if we are honestly keeping you company and getting you through, then on one, welcome to our fucking club, because you're as strange as we are. But two, but two, we're glad to be helping, and thanks for sticking with fucking us, and right, thanks for all your support. Take care, everybody, and goodbye. So long. Bye. As Caller, we've always looked at the future, leading the way with our renewable gas bio-LPG. Ideal for off-grid homes and businesses, it cuts emissions by up to 90%. So, if like Mary and Mick Gorman and Abby Leakes, you're looking for a cleaner, more efficient way to cook and heat your home, our renewable gas is the right solution for you. And one that protects the planet too. Bio-LPG. Renewable gas from Caller. Find out more at callergas.ie. Sports Social Podcast Network. Only 4% of universities in the U.S. are R1 research institutions, and Temple University is one of them. This means 100% of students have the opportunity to participate in hands-on learning and research with world-class faculty. With over 600 academic programs across 17 schools and colleges, Philadelphia's largest public university provides students with a rich variety of opportunities and propels graduates to succeed in their careers. Temple University. Schedule a campus tour today at admissions.temple.edu slash visit.